Welcome to Come and Reason with Christian psychiatrist and author Dr. Tim Jennings. Together we will reason through complex issues to find evidence-based answers that harmonize scripture, science, and our life experiences. I'm your Come and Reason host, Charles Mills. We all know that God pleads with us to love one another as I have loved you, John 13, 34. But how does God love? That's the question that Dr. Jennings examined during his 2020 Power of Love seminar that took place in Allen, Texas. We're airing segments of his insightful presentations, and we're so glad that you've joined us today. This program is sponsored by Come and Reason Ministries. Today we learn that love has an often overlooked requirement. Listen carefully and prayerfully. Adam had only one place to go for healing and salvation, and that was to God. We have only one place to go for healing and salvation, and that is to God. And it is the devil's distortion and the consequence of sin that causes us to misperceive God and believe the fear and the shame and the internal guilt that we get. No one could love me if they knew me. And therefore, we put on our masks, and that can include our religious masks. So I got baptized in the right way, I go to church on the right day, eat the right foods, I dress in the right clothes, and I do all the right things. And if I do that, then these garments will cover me, and when I present them to the Lord, I will be covered in those garments, and the Lord will say, acceptable. But what we're really doing is we're still afraid of Him, because if He really knew me, He wouldn't love me. And it's all based on the lie. That was believed in Eden. What is needed to fix this condition. Truth. Truth on all layers. Truth about the actual problem. What's the problem that needs fixing? Truth about God and who He is. Truth about God's design laws and the application of love. The application of truth and love. I don't know if any of you have read Philip Yancey's book, What's So Amazing About Grace, but there's a story in here I'm going to share with you that I think illustrates this quite powerfully. It's on page 49. A young girl grows up in the cherry orchard just above Traverse City, Michigan. Her parents, a, a bit old-fashioned, tend to overreact to her nose ring, the music she listens to, the length of her skirts. They ground her a few times and she sees inside. I hate you, she screams at her father when he knocks on the door of her room after an argument. And that night, she acts on a plan she has mentally rehearsed scores of times. She runs away. She has visited Detroit only once before on a bus trip with her church group to watch a Tigers play. Because newspapers in Traverse City report in lurid detail the gangs, the drugs, the violence in downtown Detroit, she concludes that is probably the last place her parents will ever look for her. California, maybe. Florida, but not Detroit. Her second day there, she meets a man who drives the biggest car she's ever seen. He offers her a ride buys her lunch, arranges a place for her to stay. He gives her some pills that makes her feel better than she's ever felt before. She was right all along. She decides her parents were keeping her from all the fun. The good life continues for a month, two months, a year. The man with the big car, she calls him boss, teaches her a few things that men like. Since she's underage, men pay a premium for her. She lives in a penthouse and orders room service whenever she wants. Occasionally, she thinks of the folks back home, 
but their lives seemed so boring and provincial that she can hardly believe she grew up in that place. She has a brief scare when she sees her picture printed on the back of a milk carton and the headlines reading, Have you seen this child? But by now, she has blonde hair. And with all the makeup and body-piercing jewelry she wears, nobody would mistake her for a child. Besides, most of her friends are runaways and nobody squeals in Detroit. After a year, the first sallow signs of illness appear. And it amazes her how fast the boss turns mean. These days, we can't mess around, he growls. And before she knows it, she's out on the street without a penny to her name. She still turns a couple of tricks a night, but they don't pay much. And all the money goes to support her habit. When winter blows in, she finds herself sleeping on metal grates outside big department stores. Sleeping is the wrong word. A teenage girl at night in downtown Detroit can never relax her guard. Dark bands circle her eyes. Her cough worsens. One night, as she lies awake, listening for footsteps, all of a sudden, everything about her life looks different. She no longer feels like a woman of the world. She feels like a little girl, lost in a cold and frightening city. She begins to whimper. Her pockets are empty, and she's hungry. She needs a fix. She pulls her legs tight underneath her and shivers under the newspaper she piled atop her coat. Something jolts a synapse of memory, and a single image fills her mind of May in Traverse City when a million cherry trees bloom at once and her golden retriever dashing through the rows and rows of blossomy trees in chase of a tennis ball. God, why did I leave? She tells herself. And pain stabs at her heart. My dog back home eats better than I do now. She's sobbing, and she knows in a flash that more than anything else in the world, she wants to go home. Three straight phone calls, three straight connections with the answering machine. She hangs up without leaving a message after the first two. But the third time she says, Dad, Mom, it's me. I, I was wondering about maybe coming home. I'm catching a bus up your way and and it'll get, get there about midnight tomorrow. If you're not there, well, I guess I'll just stay on the bus until it hits Canada. It takes about seven hours for the bus to make all the stops between Detroit and Traverse City. And during that time, she realizes the flaws in her plan. What if her parents are out of town and miss the message? Shouldn't she have waited another day or, or so until she could talk to them? And even if they're home, they probably wrote her off as dead long ago. She should have given them some time to overcome the shock. Her thoughts bounce back and forth between those worries and the speech she is preparing for her father. Dad, I'm sorry. I know I was wrong. It's not your fault. It's all mine. Dad, can you forgive me? She says the words over and over, her throat tightening as she rehearses them. She hasn't apologized to anyone in years. The bus has been driving with lights on since Bay City. Tiny snowflakes hit the pavement, rubbed worn by thousands of tires and the asphalt steams. She's forgotten how dark it gets out at night, out here. A deer darts across the road and the bus swerves. Every so often a billboard, a sign posting the mileage to Traverse City. Oh God. When the bus finally rolls into the station, its air brakes hissing in protest, the driver announces in a crackly voice over the microphone, 15 minutes, folks, that's all we've got here. 15 minutes to decide her life. 
She checks herself in a compact mirror, smooths her hair, licks the lipstick off her teeth. She looks at the tobacco stains on her fingertips and wonders if her parents will notice if they're there. She walks into the terminal not knowing what to expect. Not one of the thousand scenes that have played out in her mind prepares her for what she sees. There in the concrete walls and plastic chairs bus terminal of Traverse City, Michigan, stands a group of 40 brothers and sisters and great aunts and great uncles and cousins and grandmother and a great grandmother to boot. They're all wearing goofy party hats and blowing noisemakers and taped across the entire wall of the terminal is a computer-generated banner that reads, Welcome Home. Out of the crowd of well-wishers breaks her dad. She stares out through the tears quivering in her eyes like hot mercury and begins her memorized speech. Dad, I'm sorry, I know. He interrupts, hush child. We've got no time for that. No time for apologies. You'll be late to the party. A banquet's waiting for you at home. It's not just cognitive, knowing the facts. It's experiential. Who we are in heart and character. We must know God, not as a fact, but as a real being whom we love and trust. Thus, Christian witness must include loving people, grace, compassion, along with the truth. God's precepts, his designs, his laws lead us or restore us to freedom. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. As the Lord has his way in our life, he heals us. He delivers us from those chains that bind us and restores us back into autonomous beings who get the last fruit of the Spirit. And the last fruit of the Spirit is self-control. He restores our freedoms to us. When we violate the law of liberty, now when I present the law of liberty to my patients, many people have never heard of this. I know many of you in here have, but many of my patients have never heard of it and they don't understand this idea of law. And so I have to tell them, think about the law of gravity for a minute because the law of liberty is this kind of a law. Do you have to know about gravity in order for gravity to work in your life? Liberty's like that. You don't have to know about it. It's still working. Do you have to believe in gravity for gravity to work? How about if you deny gravity? You go on top of a building. I refuse it. I deny it. You just made it up and you step off a building. Will gravity care? The law of liberty is like this. You may not have heard of it. You may not know about it. You may deny it. Say, I just made it up. But it's a constant. It's just there. You're either operating in harmony with it or you're transgressing it. And if you're transgressing it, think about gravity. Is it predictable or unpredictable? How many of you can predict what will happen if I let go of this? Only three of you. Okay. And notice that you don't have the gift of prophecy, do you? No. This is a predictable future event when you understand the law. When you understand more of God's laws and how they operate, you can predict things. Law of liberty, when you violate them, three predictable consequences or outcomes are unavoidable unless we restore harmony with the law. I want you to imagine a young man is dating a woman, and after months of dating, this is the woman he wants to spend his life with. She's the one. He takes her out for a special dinner, gets down on a knee, proposes. She has warm feelings for this young man, and yet she's not quite sure. So she asks for a little while to think about her answer. 
and he gets insecure, upset, angry. He stands up, he reaches in his pocket, he pulls out a pistol, he puts it to her head, said, look, I spent time on you, I spent money on you. You better marry me and you better love me. If you don't, I'm going to kill you. Did she say, finally, a strong man who'll take care of me? <laughs> First predictable consequence, when you violate liberty, love is always damaged. See, does she love him more or love him less? Love is always damaged and will eventually be destroyed. It's a design law. It's completely testable, reproducible, same outcome every time. Now, does she want to get closer to this young man or does she want to get away? Violate liberties, a desire to rebel is instilled in the heart. We don't want to stay in relationship. Now we want to get away. And if we have the option to leave, in other words, we're not a prisoner of war in a prison camp. We're in a relationship and we have the freedom to leave, but we choose to stay anyway. Then a third consequence happens. And that third consequence is individuality is eroded. You slowly lose yourself. You become what I call a shadow person. A person who sees the world through the lens of the one they've surrendered their individuality to. Their sense of self becomes submerged under the domineering, controlling one. My, such important words and thoughts today from Dr. Tim Jennings as offered during his 2020 Power of Love seminar held in Texas. We will continue airing segments of that seminar in the weeks ahead. Tune in, won't you? And spend some quality time at comeandreason.com to discover more resources available to you to help you clearly understand and appreciate the God who loves us all. This program is sponsored by Come and Reason Ministries. Until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Dr. Tim Jennings wishing you God's presence in your life. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for spending time with us today. To continue the journey, I urge you to visit comeandreason.com. Here you'll find many excellent resources to help you gain a deeper understanding of the God we all love and serve. That's at comeandreason.com. This is Charles Mills, along with Dr. Tim Jennings, inviting you to join us the next time we come and reason together. <music>